I sent out targeted individual emails. Hi, I don't know, Nancy. Hi, Peter. Hi, Eduardo. I am noticing that you haven't posted and you haven't uploaded any assignments. That's David Peña Guzman, a professor at San Francisco State University who has been struggling with this question. What can an online professor do when students just aren't participating? They're on your roster, but they're ghosting you. David's whole university has moved online this semester, and so he is teaching remotely from Paris, where his partner lives and where he was able to do archival research, back when archives let researchers in. As he looks at these ghosts on his class lists, he wonders, why have they stopped coming? Is the tech not working? Did they lose their job or have some other glitch in their personal schedule? Did they contract COVID? Or are they just bad students? Now, once those emails were sent, one of two things happened. Either I heard back from a couple of students saying, hi, professor, I'm really struggling. I'm really sorry. I started to fall back at the beginning of class and then I just felt like I was, like I had ruined the semester already. So I didn't know what to do. And I just bailed out. But if it's okay with you, maybe I can start submitting the missing assignments if you give me an extension for that. And I, I said, of course, you can begin doing that. And so that's great. But then there were also the students who just never responded. And so there is this massive question mark hovering over several people in, in my roster. And I'm just not sure what to do. Welcome to the EdSurge Podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter at EdSurge. This week, we continue our semester-long series taking you inside college life during the pandemic. We're hearing audio diaries from professors and students on six campuses. If you haven't heard the previous installments, there are four of them. I encourage you to check those out on our podcast feed. This week, we're focusing on who is disappearing from higher education due to the pandemic and what professors are doing to try to keep students going during these challenging times. It's kind of a mystery story because it's incredibly difficult to determine who is missing when the people involved don't even see each other in the real world. And everyone is so focused on their own socially isolated bubbles. We'll come back to David later in the episode and hear how his hunt for the missing students is going. But to put his experience in context, new numbers were released the other day from the National Student Clearinghouse Research Center. And the group found that undergraduate enrollment in the U.S. is down 4% this year compared to last year. And freshman enrollment, students starting their college careers, is down 16%. And those numbers are based on the start of the fall semester. We don't have the numbers for mid-semester yet. It's too early to really tell whether students who have started the semester are able to finish it. And that's something that could end up being a real concern. That's Robert Kelchin, a professor who studies higher education at Seton Hall University. If, as we would probably expect, students who come from lower-income families, first-generation minority students, are affected more by this, can they finish their semesters? In other words, we can't yet tell how many people are suddenly left out of higher ed. We do know, anecdotally, that some students who started the fall term are starting to drop out. 
In fact, it just happened to someone close to this project. My boyfriend dropped out of college recently uh, because he did not have the funds to pay for college. That's Luz Elena Anaya Chong, a senior at Texas State University, who we've been hearing from this whole semester. We asked her boyfriend if he wanted to talk about what happened, but he didn't want to be on the podcast. But he said it was okay for Elena to talk about his experience. And one of the surprising points she made was that the pandemic actually made college easier for him at first, because before the pandemic, he had struggled to balance his work life with school. So for him, it was actually easier during the spring semester, because now he could do everything at home. And like when he had the time to do it instead of attending class, Um, but eventually he lost his job due to the pandemic and he has not been able to recover ever since. This has Elena feeling lucky about her own situation, which, as you might remember from past episodes, is that her classes are all online. So she moved home back in with her family down in South Texas, where she's cut off from her friends and support systems at Texas State. Sometimes, like, it makes me just understand how, uh, privilege I am that yes I used to uh like maybe in the first episodes I used to complain that I had to go back home because um I was not attending classes in person and all that but now it was like I'm actually glad that I was able to go back home because I could not like what if I had lost my job to like my boyfriend and I would not have been able to pay for my rent and Uh, it's uh, very sad to see that a lot of college students uh, like literally got evicted because they lost their jobs, they couldn't pay their rents, they had to drop out of college. So it is just difficult uh, for college students right now to keep up with everything. And still on top of that, do good in school. It turns out the largest drop in enrollment this semester is at community colleges. Community college enrollment has dropped about 9% since last year. And first-time community college going is down 23%. That means 23% fewer students are starting community college this year than last year. One of our diarists who is plugged into the community college experience is Marjorie Blinn. She recently completed her two-year degree at City College of San Francisco. And she still volunteers for a nonprofit there called Students Making a Change. The group works for social equity at community colleges, by helping students stay on track. We have some folks in a nonprofit that we talk to um, that are taking, quote, unquote, a break from school, and I'm trying to keep in contact with them to make sure they come back next semester, even though it's going to be virtual. But I hope that they will feel a lot more prepared for this and things are a lot more easier. Okay, so for those who have been following all season, you'll remember that Marjorie is herself thinking of taking time off because the online experience is just not giving her what she was hoping from a four-year college. And she's having trouble juggling all her responsibilities during the pandemic. There's really much we can't do. I mean, I can't really blame them because I wish I was taking a break. You know, I wish I was, like, not doing what I'm doing right now. I wish I could just focus on either working or my kids or my home and stuff. I've been thinking a lot about Marjorie's situation. She's worked so hard to be the first in her family to get to a four-year college. Her parents bought San Francisco State sweatshirts to cheer her on. She doesn't want to let them down, but she's having a terrible experience. 
Just this week, she described technical problems with three of her Zoom classes. Okay, on my two o'clock class, everything was going fine. And towards maybe like the last 10 minutes of class, boom, we got kicked out. Then we came back in. Then he, the teacher froze. All of us were like, what is going on? I think it was the first time actually that we engaged as an entire class. And it wasn't like a productive conversation. It was more like, is he still there? Do you know if he's coming back? Does anybody see them? I, I heard from people I had never heard in the class before. And we were throwing comments like, oh, well, the class ends at 3.15. So I'm logging off at 3.15 no matter what. The teacher came back in and then right at 3.15 he got kicked out and the rest of us were like, okay, we're just leaving. He sent an email later saying he apologized about how class ended and blah, 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 and technology. At first, my instinct was, who can help Marjorie? Is there support groups that could be there for her? How do we support her so she doesn't drop out? But in talking with her, it's, it's complicated. Taking a break might actually be the best thing for her career which is not how we have all been trained to think about this. I mean, if she takes a break now, she can pick school up after the pandemic, and maybe she'll learn more and get the kind of mentorship and connections that will help her get a job in sociology, as she hopes to do. It's hard to know what the best path is. I've actually found myself talking with other experts about Marjorie's situation to get their perspectives. For instance, I asked the San Francisco State professor who's part of this Diaries project, David Penny Guzman. He didn't want to comment on Marjorie's case without knowing her more as a person, which I totally respect. But he actually has been dealing with a very similar situation with one of his master's students. She said, I, I hate that I don't get to chat with my classmates, that I don't get to go out for lunch or for a drink after a class with them. I hate that I can't come early as I normally would to maybe chit-chat with the professor about my questions before the class begins. And in general, I, I just don't see this working for me. The student who has just started the program came to his online office hours to explain that she was thinking of dropping out for now and coming back after COVID is over. And she wanted David's input on whether that sounds like a good call. My advice to her was, first of all, to sort of avow the validity of of her feelings. Like, yes, this is a shitty situation. And no, I don't think you're a quitter or that you're making an anti-intellectual or anti-academic choice that somehow reveals that you're not serious enough as a student. Um, and so my goal, when she asked me, what do you think I should do? I opted for the sort of choose what's going to make you happiest as a person at this moment approach. And in this case, it seemed like leaving was the right choice for the student. It turns out that students all over the country are wrestling with this same decision. That was clear from a recent anonymous survey of about 450 college students across the country that was conducted by Livia Morris and her identical twin sister, Julia Morris. They know what the student experience is like right now because they both just graduated from UC Davis in July. As Livia explains, one of the questions they asked on the survey was, has the pandemic altered your academic plans? If so, how? And I would say over half had their plans altered in some way or were at least saying my plans might be, 
you know, altered and I'm preparing myself for that. You know, one person said I dropped out of my four-year degree and actually transferred back to a community college. You know, who does that? Who goes from four-year to community college? And other students saying, I haven't dropped out yet, but let's see how fall goes because now I'm actually considering it. I feel like that topic of conversation is, you know, probably coming up a lot more now. Livia's sister Julia says that in this context, taking a break from studies may not be such a black mark on a resume. Well, pre-pandemic, I think that there was also this stigma and this shame attached to dropping out, even if temporarily. Um, And the pandemic is shifting that a little bit. Um, Not in this survey, but I remember that one of the professors that I was talking to shortly after all of this started was he's essentially encouraging his students to view these next two years as a box. Yes, I know this metaphor is a special box that is completely your own, where you're free from, you know, norms and expectations that once applied. And now is the time, perhaps the only time in your foreseeable future where you can actually do, you know, do things off the cuff, try something new, take a break, um, do your own personal projects, that now is the time to take risks, to explore uh, and you're not going to be judged as harshly for it. So to try and view it as a box of, what do you say, a box of opportunity. This, <laughs> this blank space for you to fill out yourself, I know. Yeah. Very poetic. What a crappy space to get, though. Like, and, you yeah. know, I, I hear that. And it's, I'm not... hard, it's hard to look at it like that, you know. So there are these people on the edge who might drop out but a far bigger number of students just want to take a break. The kind of breaks that usually dot the academic calendar. At Purdue University, for instance, there's a popular outcry among students to add a couple of days off this semester. Purdue is in this intensive, limited break semester so that it can send everyone home at around Thanksgiving. But here we are in October, and people are feeling drained. The student body president at Purdue started a petition calling for the administration to add a reading day. It states, The lack of vacation time has taken a significant toll on the health and well-being of our community. A recent survey of around 4,500 undergraduate Purdue students representing all campus demographics found that a significant amount of students are feeling exhausted and drained during our fifth week of classes. End quote. Joseph Ching the junior at Purdue who we've been hearing from all semester on this podcast, said this idea is the talk of campus these days. Currently, the Purdue Reading Day petition has received 7,712 signatures, which is quite a lot. I believe the student body here at Purdue is around like 32,000. So, I mean, that's quite a lot of uh, students or, or faculty support. So I think... I'm in support of this petition. I think we really uh, need a day off to to recharge. And I think a lot of people are, are really feeling the, the mental strain of this semester. Um, and, and I really hope that the university administration listens. Actually, as we finish putting this episode together, the petition has grown to over 10,000 signatures for one day off. This isn't just at Purdue. At Texas State, 
Biology senior lecturer Rachel Davenport says she just senses the burnout among the students that she teaches. Yeah, I actually paused in the middle of lecture um, once on my Zoom lecture and we talked about self-care and how important it was with, with 200 students. You know, when we talked about what are ways that you, you know, do self-care. And so it's hard for all of us. Actually, Rachel was the one who suggested to me that I talk about this issue of burnout, which she is feeling herself and knows is happening to other professors that she talks to. Yeah, I think before the pandemic, the trouble I was having was not managing my work-life balance appropriately. Now I think it's more, it's not possible. So it, it was possible and I still wasn't doing a great job at it. And now I just think maybe it's not possible. So... Peter Sands, an English professor at the University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee, brought up burnout, too, when I checked in with him last week. It's a beautiful day here. Um, so I got on the motorcycle and went down to my office, thinking I would teach my class in the office. And, of course, I get in there, and uh, the sanitizer gel that they had dropped off had leaked all over my desk. Uh, the building is about 80 degrees. My office is about 30 degrees. Um, and then, uh, I hadn't been on campus for a while. I had to change all my passwords, the automated. So, but the moment I actually logged into, um, my class, my computer shut down because teams updated like, right. As, and it's just like this sort of comedy of errors. So I went, I, I was like, Oh, I'll do a little change of scenery a bit. I get a nice little ride out and it's a sunny day and it's just a one rolling disaster after another. Um, and it's it's things that would have been a disaster if it wasn't a pandemic, right? The temperature and the, and everything, and um, but I felt less resilient, to be honest. Um, I felt like uh, I I thought I was doing something that would be fun and cool, and uh, by the time class started, I was just like, oh my god, I don't know how much of this I can take. And of course, the students saved it. We had a great conversation about their research projects for the semester, and uh, a really I mean, we we were going to do fifteen minutes on that. We spent the, an entire hour, every student talking about what they were doing for their long term research project over the semester. Um, and my equilibrium was restored, and uh, all was right with the world. The office was still freezing, so I came home to work, but. Um, I just, I, I imagine a lot of other people are feeling the same. And I know because I meet with students almost every day, they're feeling less resilient. Um, they're feeling more short-tempered and uh, less patient with themselves and with each other. Um, and at this point, it's still 70 and sunny in Wisconsin. February, which is about 100 weeks long in Wisconsin, um, is a little harder in, in an ordinary year. So. so there's all this stress just about how disrupted everything is as campuses put these safety precautions into effect or teach online due to the pandemic. But sometimes it's possible to forget that the reason for all this is because people could get COVID, which could be deadly. A week ago or so, I got an email from one of our diarists, and it's what I had been most scared might happen when I started this project. Natalie Ricciardi, a senior at Chapman University, wrote to me and said she has symptoms of COVID and was waiting for her results. She wanted to let me know that she wasn't going to be filing any more diaries for now. It just shows how thoughtful a person that she is that she let me know this and kind of apologized for not sending me an audio clip. 
I was like, oh my gosh, how are you? Get well soon. I'm thinking of you. Don't worry about the audio. Right back when you can. Nationwide, the virus is roaring back. Josh Friesen, the freshman at Syracuse University that we have been following, said COVID numbers there are the big topic on campus these days. Some people went to like some off-campus parties and stuff last weekend and then to like a, a party close to campus like soon after that. And a lot of people there got coronavirus and it's not that great right now. And they're just trying to contain it right now. There was a slight uptick after Labor Day weekend, which I know I talked about. And that they got contained, but this is a little larger, so hopefully that they can implement the same things they did then and get that contained. I'm struck by how routine he makes all this sound. There's this concern that he's talked about over and over about hoping the campus can keep the virus in check enough to stay open. And so talking about the levels of infection and getting occasional COVID tests is just part of campus life these days. At Purdue, Joseph says that a COVID testing site is something he walks past regularly on campus. So here, there's one line for people with symptoms. And then on the other side, there's a line for people without symptoms. This is their surveillance testing. And we're testing about 10% of the general population. uh, And for certain groups like Greek life, they're testing actually about 20%. And this is according to the health monitoring and surveillance task lead for Protect Purdue. I myself have not been selected to be randomly tested, but uh, I have a friend that has, and I hope that I'll be picked. But also, uh, you can actually get request a test at any time. So that is, if you feel like you're sick or you want to have that assurance, uh, Purdue can provide that for you. And their PCR tests, you spit into a cup. And the way my friend described it, he said it was it was really strange where you're sitting in a, a bunch of these desks and and you watch each other spit into cups. So it's it's kind of a strange situation they've got there, but it's supervised. He follows all the guidelines and wears his mask. Purdue's looking okay. I think it's around 3%, positivity rate, which is okay, I guess. Um, it's nothing to be very alarmed about, but um, I'd say in general, people are you know, abiding by the guidelines. I've actually heard that you know, some other universities, they have kind of a slightly different culture. So there's there's a culture here at Purdue where you actually wear masks outside. It's not actually required. Uh, if you are in, like, I think like eight, 10 feet apart from people, it's not required to wear a mask. But if you're walking around campus outside, people still wear masks. It's just the culture. Otherwise, you get like, you know, bad looks, glares. So I've heard that other universities, that's not the case. They kind of just rip off their mask. So there's all these protocols, all this testing, all these ways that colleges are trying to keep students healthy and happy enough to keep attending classes. But the one student I worried about the most in the past week was Natalie, our diarist who thought she might have COVID. 
And late this week, she did finally reach out with her results. I was in the ER yesterday for most of the day, like with chest pain, and I thought that it was a COVID symptom. But while I was at the ER, I got my results back that it was negative. So then um, I just had to like do a bunch of testing and I'm fine. But uh, yeah, it was definitely scary. Natalie is a pre-med major and she's doing an internship at the local hospital, the same hospital that she went to for her COVID test. But yeah, it's it was interesting to be a patient at the place that I usually am working. And I, I definitely got a new perspective. I'm just glad that it was negative so that I can go back to my internship. And um, it would have just complicated a lot. <laughs> Natalie's story is a reminder of the necessity of these students getting their educations. That hospital needs healthcare workers like Natalie to get their training. Every high-skilled workforce needs all these students to get their educations, and good ones, in order to keep functioning properly. What will happen if more and more of them drop out or turn into ghosts? David, that professor at San Francisco State, is still struggling with how to deal with the students who ghost him. With those students, I've felt initially a pretty acute sense of impotence, followed after a few weeks by a sense of resignation, where I simply had to accept that I would not know what's going on with those students, and that the most I can hope for is that they will read my emails and either communicate with me or realize that they need to withdraw on their own so that they avoid an F that will have a negative impact on their GPA, or that in some way they will begin submitting their assignments so that they can catch up partially, if not entirely. And for the students who do show up, David says he is hyper-aware of how they behave on Zoom calls. If someone who usually turns her camera on has her video off one week, he wonders if maybe they're having a problem or they're sick. I'm usually the person who doesn't stress very much. I'm the person who doesn't imagine the worst-case scenarios. But COVID-19 is turning me into a person who experiences the world in a slightly different way. And one of those changes is that now I do overinterpret when my students are not showing up as they normally do. And I wonder what the right thing to do is. Should I reach out or should I not? I want my students to know that they can talk to me about whatever they need. But at the same time, I don't want my students to feel as if they have to justify every time they choose to turn off their video or their audio or every time that they can't come to class for whatever reason. And so I'm finding myself having to do some internal tug of war with myself in terms of how much I need to project myself into the lives of my students. And uh, I think that's something that probably a lot of professors are feeling and uh, The difficult thing is that, of course, there is no clear answer because we are in uncharted territory. Here we are about halfway through the semester. Campus life is still weird, intense, and sometimes scary. I asked Robert Kelchin, that professor of higher ed, who we talked to back in episode one as well, 
what has struck him most about how this is all playing out at campuses nationwide. I think the biggest surprise is since late August, no college that I'm aware of has sent all of their students home. They've tried various ways to keep students on campus and just flip classes online for two weeks at a time as needed. Some of that's public health driven. They don't want to send all their students back home and spread the virus further. But some of it's also revenue driven in that they get to keep that sweet, juicy housing revenue that they so desperately need to survive. So the big win is that nothing catastrophic has happened at any one campus in the last couple of months. Still, there's no guarantee that even that tepid winning streak will continue. As Josh, the Syracuse student, points out, there's a holiday just around the corner that will be a big test of whether this can all hold together. Halloween weekend, when people, because people are going to go out and do stuff. What that looks like in terms of coronavirus on all the campuses, like the week after. He does plan to try to have fun despite the circumstances, but without a big gathering. Probably, like, me and my friends have costume ideas, but we're probably just going to stay in someone's dorm and do something small there. We've discussed ideas. They're all really stupid, but I'll still tell you. One of them that we talked about, there's, like, 12 of us in this group, is Disney princesses for one night. Because, obviously, and the other one was Power Rangers, but there are too many of us to be Power Rangers, so we decided to all be Green Power Ranger. Like, 12, 13, Green Power Rangers... We'll be sure to let you know how that goes on the next episode of the Pandemic Campus Diaries series in two weeks. This has been the Ed Surge podcast. Thanks to everyone who has been listening. If you like the show, please take a minute to give it a rating or review. That helps other people find us. Or better yet, tell a friend about the Ed Surge podcast on social media. If you want to dig deeper into some of the themes we've been talking about on the Pandemic Campus Diary series, check out a recent episode of the Teach Lab podcast out of MIT. Professor Justin Reich and I talked through some of the takeaways of the series, and it was was an interesting conversation. This episode was produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter, at J.R. Young. Editing this episode by Rob McGinley-Myers. Thanks to the students and professors who are taking the time to send in diaries and share these experiences. Rachel Davenport, Deb Nichols, Sabina Brunswicker, David Peña Guzman, Peter Sands, Luz Elena Anayachong, Joseph Ching, Marjorie Blen, Adrian Davis, Natalie Ricciardi, and Josh Friesen. You can read more about the diarists on our show page, edsurge.com. This podcast series is supported by a reporting fellowship from the Education Writers Association. Music this episode by Ruvel and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks also to Sasha Aslanian. And thanks, as always, to managing editor of EdSurge, Tony Wan. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing, and in two weeks with another episode of the Pandemic Campus Diaries. Thanks for listening, and be well.